I'm Cheryl State Bryson, mom, divorcee, health nut, and host of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast, where I help divorced moms get healthy, create financial stability, and develop emotional fortitude while they master co-parenting their kids. The place is here, and your time is now. So let's do this. Hey, Healthy Mamas, and welcome to this sixth episode of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know we are all so, so busy, and so it really means a lot to me that you're here. Okay, guys, this is a good one today. What I'm going to talk to you about has been particularly instrumental in my healing journey and how I have moved forward from a very difficult marriage and an even more challenging divorce. What I'm talking about is communication boundaries between you and your ex. As you already know, even after you move on from a marriage, if you have children together, you will still need to communicate with your ex on a regular basis. And for a lot of us, that sucks. Whether your post-divorce relationship is civil or conflict-ridden, as mine kind of is, Communicating with your ex can be triggering and stressful, so I want to share some techniques that I have found very effective in my healing process. Find the full transcript for this episode at healthymomafterdivorce.com slash six. So for some, communication with an ex might be a once a week or once every two weeks kind of thing. For others, it's multiple times per day. Every situation is different. Some of us have exes that won't communicate enough, while others have exes that communicate relentlessly. In my case, I have dealt with years of ongoing and relentless communication as a form of post-separation abuse. So I've had to come up with creative ways to protect and insulate myself because, as I discussed on the last episode of the podcast, we cannot control what our ex does. As divorced moms, we need to focus on what is in our control and take steps to look after ourselves and our kids in ways that are available to us. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend going back and taking a listen. It is episode number five called My Hardest Post-Divorce Lesson. Now, communication comes in many forms, email, text, phone, in-person, I learned early on that in-person or telephone communication was not a good choice for us. Our situation was too volatile and it was set very early that all communication would be in written form. So most of my techniques will be centered around written communication, but you can certainly apply them to verbal communication as well. If you are finding, however, that verbal communication is too triggering, then I encourage you to take steps to set up that boundary. I have found that written communication has given me the space I need to decide when to read it, how to reply, and when to reply. But I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. So let's start going through the list. So number one, decide what form of communication best suits your and your kids' needs. Some of you may find that you are comfortable with verbal communication, and if that works well and you're not stressed and triggered, then I encourage you to do what works for you. For me, however, that was never going to be a possibility, particularly because verbal abuse was a huge part of my marriage. Creating space between what he was saying 
and when and how I was receiving it was crucial for my mental and physical health. For me, everything in writing was key for a couple of reasons. A, it prevented immediate access to me, which gave me the space to process and formulate an appropriate response versus responding reactively. And B, it provided evidence of everything that was said, agreed upon, not agreed upon, etc. Because unfortunately, my marriage and divorce involved a lot of gaslighting. So gaslighting might not be a term you've heard before, and perhaps I'll do an episode on it in the future. But briefly, it's a form of psychological manipulation used by an abuser. They distort reality in an attempt to create self-doubt and confusion in their victim in order to gain control over them. So having everything in writing helps create an indisputable reference for everything that's said or not said or agreed upon or not agreed upon. Only you can decide what forms of communication work best for you. And you may decide on one way, then decide to change it in the future. Whatever you decide, though, the key is to communicate in a way that keeps you in a space of peace and control over your emotions and your health. Okay, on to number two. Once you've decided how you will communicate, decide when you will communicate. So if you're sticking to written communication, when will you read it and address it? Not everyone will deal with incessant and triggering communication, so this might not be a step that is crucial for everyone. But if you're finding that you are upset and triggered every time you receive an email or text, I would suggest picking a time once a day to go through the communication. The best time will differ for everyone. For some, it'll be first thing in the morning or perhaps at lunch or after dinner. Whatever the time, though, make sure it supports your mental well-being as much as possible. Reading an email at work might work perfect for some since they will have the distraction of going back to work after. For others, it'll affect their ability to work, so another time might be best. Reading a text when you're with someone who can support you might be a good choice. A partner, a friend, a parent, a sibling, whoever you find calms your nervous system. I would suggest choosing this person carefully, though. Although our friends and family want to be supportive and are entirely on our team, it isn't helpful if they work you up further. So sharing these communication challenges with them ahead of time and how you're managing your reaction will help them support you in the way that you need. Now, you might be thinking, That's all fine and dandy to control when you want to read it, but you don't control when your ex sends it. So how do you set up systems to decrease their immediate access to you? Well, that brings me to number three. Turn off your notifications. Just because your ex has decided to email you at 5 a.m. does not mean you need to get it at 5 a.m. Most of us know that ignoring dings and buzzes from our devices is very hard. So turning off those dings and buzzes is crucial to you taking your power back. Most of us look at our devices so much that we really don't need our notifications turned on in order to receive messages in a timely manner. So mute the text conversations with your ex. For email, turn off the notifications or Set up a filter so that emails from them skip your inbox and go to a folder that you can check at the time you've already decided. I understand that there will be some stress around emergencies and not wanting to miss those texts. 
but emergencies really are rare. You could set up a communication boundary with your ex and let them know text is only to be used in an emergency and to use email for all other communication. Your ex may or may not respect that. This is something you could put into a parenting agreement or order, perhaps, although I do realize it's not always possible. Just do what you can. I believe that it is important that you can insulate yourself as best as you can. Your ex no longer gets to have immediate and unfettered access to you, particularly if you're finding communicating with them distressing or if communication is used as some form of harassment or abuse. So at this point, you've decided how you're going to communicate, you've decided when you're going to communicate, and how you'll decrease constant access. Now we're at the stage where you're reading the communication. So number four, scan it for relevant details. Try very hard not to read all the unnecessary stuff. Now, you may be one of the lucky ones whose ex just tells you what you need to know. For instance, the kids have a dentist appointment next Thursday at 10 a.m. Is it okay with you if I drop them off right after instead of at 1 p.m. as we have planned? That's an easy text to get, right? I mean, relevant info only, polite, cordial, simple, nothing inflammatory. But that's not necessarily how a lot of us get communication. So what about this example? The kids have a dentist appointment next Thursday at 10 a.m. I went ahead and booked it because we all know you can't get your act together to do it. Figures, you've always been this way. Anyways, I'm going to drop them off right after instead of waiting until 1 p.m. because that clearly makes more sense. You have a problem with that? Okay, there are tons of things wrong with this, but really, the relevant information is the same. Appointment date and time, and a proposed amendment to the transition time. A skill that is worth developing is being able to scan the message for those details and really just gloss over the rest. It's not relevant and entirely unnecessary. As divorced moms, we need to take our power back and learn to not let our emotional state be governed by our ex. What matters is our kids and what's best for them. It's best that they get to their dentist appointment. Check. It's best that they are in the care of an adult at all times. Check. Your ex did give you the heads up that he'd be early, so check. So really, we're good. The kids are safe and cared for. And for me, that brings all the peace of mind I need. Whatever else that might be implied by the message is just clutter. And this type A Virgo doesn't do clutter. So this brings me to the last step. Number five, the response. For me, the response comes in two stages. The pause, then the written reply. In my case, the minimum pause is 24 hours. This is actually written in my parenting agreement due to the volume of reactive responses from my ex. Early on, I struggled with responding too quickly as well, but I soon learned that these reactive responses do not help anything. In fact, they often make matters worse because the responses focused on all the wrong things and included so much unnecessary context and excuses and criticisms. Some communication, like the example I gave about the dentist appointment, may require a faster response, like if they texted you morning of the appointment. But if it's days in advance, ask yourself, is there really a rush to answer right away? 
As you get better at sifting for relevant information and responding without emotion, your wait time may be able to decrease. But if you find that your reaction is to defend who you are and criticize their email, then waiting is exactly what you need. And when you do reply, keep it short. Really, the only thing to consider in this example is whether or not you are free sooner than 1pm. That's all that you're replying to. If you aren't sure you're replying in a non-inflammatory way, ask someone to read your communications for you before you send them. Sometimes a trusted outside person can help shine some light on, you know, where you may be going wrong. But I really do find that waiting and letting your nervous system calm down really does help us respond in constructive ways. Not only should your responses be non-inflammatory and deal with relevant details only, I suggest keeping your responses as short as possible. Most things only require a few lines. If you're finding your responses are paragraphs long, there's a good chance you've added in a lot of context and conjecture and unnecessary detail that only serves as more fodder for them to fire back. The less you write, the less they have to argue back with. Here's a visual I like to use. People who communicate, like in the toxic example I just discussed, are in the muck, and they'd like you to be in there with them. Lots of reasons for this. Maybe they want to justify their bad behavior, so having you do it too helps with that. Maybe they enjoy conflict, and everything is a battle for them to win. Maybe they're just so stunted in their maturity that it's all they know. Who knows? But whatever the reason, they want you in there too. So in this visual, while they're in the muck, you're standing on the edge of the pit. They want to communicate with you, so it looks like this. They toss out a rock that has the relevant info, like an appointment time or a specific request, and it lands at your feet. But they also toss out a bunch of ropes, and these ropes have totally useless and irrelevant info like criticisms and unnecessary contacts and the like. So why do they do this? They do this to capitalize on an instinct we have, and that instinct is to defend ourselves. And by getting us to defend ourselves and often attack them back in the process, we get distracted from the rock at our feet that has the relevant facts. You know, the facts that are directly related to the well-being of our kids and instead, we grab onto the ropes. Once we've grabbed on and start firing back, they are now in the position to yank on the ropes and pull us down into the muck with them. But that's not who we are and not what being a healthy mum is about. So when you get an email, look for the rock, the solid, unchanging, relevant piece that has the information that we need to take care of our kids and ourselves. And ignore the ropes, the red herrings, the things designed to distract us and drag us down into the muck with them. Take the steps you need to protect your mental health. Decide how you'll communicate. Decide when you'll communicate. Turn off those darn notifications. Scan for relevant details only. Find those rocks. Then wait 24 hours and when the time comes, reply briefly and only to the details that matter. In the example I gave, a response might be, thank you for letting me know. 
Yes, you can drop the kids off after their dentist appointment. That's it. Learning to communicate like this will set you free. I love this quote from writer Eli Weissel. He said, The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. It's indifference. I repeat just the first line to myself all the time. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. I do not hate my ex. I do not hate the things he says or the things he does. I'm simply indifferent to them. They play no role in my life and in my choices. I know that being indifferent to something can be cast in a negative light, but in cases when our mental and emotional health are at risk, indifference can create fertile ground for peace, calm, level-headedness, and reason to grow. Hate does none of those things. Hate is toxic to ourselves and to those around us. So healthy mamas, channel your indifference to the noise. Find the rock. Take a breath. Hit reply. Then move on. And as always, remember, healthy moms raise healthy kids. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review. And if you like what you heard, share this episode with other moms. Don't forget to follow me on social media. And if you want to learn more about me and what else I have to offer, head over to HealthyMomAfterDivorce.com. I can't wait to connect with you.